Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, girl? Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. They took it away. Now, Ed, our, we just did a segment that was so great that Jared sitting in the studio, instead of listening to us, retweeted a tweet that says, seriously, a monkey could bartend. This is the Press Box. The last two days on our opening segments, there's two segments we have for the best of. Now, you're probably going to have to play them on a loop because there's not a lot of best of on the show. But we got to pay attention during these times. With Grady and Bischoff. Coming up next, we find out if monkeys can bartend. On ESPN Las Vegas. Not a lot of best of, but we'll do the best we can. It's Tuesday and ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. Ed, Tyler, and Jared, why not start off with some Raiders? The first bite. Are the Raiders going to win just six games this season? Man, what a question to open the day. Thank you. Um, I, I don't know why. Well... I don't know why, but I think they're going to win more than six. And I know people are going to right away say, well, what about the offensive line, the defense, and new coordinator? They've gone from four to seven to eight under Gruden. I think if they can get the offensive line together, they'll be as good or better defensively. Excuse me, offensively, offensively, and defensively. Maybe we wait till after the draft. But, yeah, Tyler, off the top, if if you said six, I I think they're going to win more than six. So the reason the number six is out there is because Stations Casinos put out odds for every Raiders game, and they were only favored in six games next season. And remember, there's 17 games next season. Um, So that means the Raiders were underdogs in 11 games. Now, they were uh, underdogs in all eight road games next season. Uh, and they were underdogs in three home games. Uh, the Chiefs coming to Las Vegas, Baltimore coming to Las Vegas, and then Miami coming to Las Vegas. Now, when you look at like lines and stuff, like a lot of these lines are within three points. Uh, so it's more of a toss up than it is like, oh, yeah, they're going to be a big underdog or anything like that. But right. you look at the Raiders next year and it's it's hard to it's hard to project much more than what nine wins like that seems to be Eight probably nine. yeah I mean it's hard to view this team really getting 10 11 wins next season because have they gotten better uh they got Yannick Ngakwe in but I don't know that Yannick Ngakwe makes a big enough difference on his own on defense they haven't really added any other difference makers on that side of the ball and they've probably gotten worse on offense because they dismantled the offensive line. So it, it's hard to look at this team and say they've gotten better. And so when you start matching them up against teams next year, are they really going to be just a six-win team based on which games they're favored in? They might be. But here's, to me, the bigger the bigger issue for the Raiders isn't necessarily which of these which games they're favored in or not favored in because they're going to play toss-ups against denver and and the chargers they're going to play toss-ups against you know the teams that come here like washington chicago and philly and cincinnati like they're they're, but the problem is, is the raiders are a team and it's it's hard to see them getting out of this range like they're a team that the reason they're underdogs in almost all road games and the reason they're favored in most home games is because they're a middle of the pack nfl team they're not a super bowl contender and they're not a top five draft pick. They're a team that 
hey, they could make the playoffs. They they could get to nine wins, maybe ten. Uh, or they could miss it with six wins or so. But that's the range the Raiders are in, and that's the range they've been in for two seasons. And I don't know that they're good enough that you, that you can even look into the future and say, oh, they'll be out of that range in the near future. I think they're kind of stuck in this range. They're stuck yeah. in this six to nine win range. Yeah, and that's, let's be honest, it's a horrible place to be stuck in. I, yeah. I completely agree with you there. And I've used this analogy in the past because it's always the one I think about, but it kind of makes sense. You know, it's the NBA team that's always the eighth seed. It, you know, it's the Milwaukee Bucks for years where it's like, yeah, you're good enough to get there. And, you know, even though the Raiders haven't gotten there, but you know what I mean? Just kind of middle of the road. It's a horrible place to be in uh, in terms of middle of the road, purgatory, whatever you want to say, because you're always going to pick in like a 15 to 20 range and you're never going to be good enough. Maybe they get to the playoffs one of these years, but never be good enough to advance. Kind of like with the Derek Carr best year when he got hurt. They got their wild card, lose to Houston, it's over. So you're right. It's it's a it, it's a horrible place to be. And if you ask a fan, I think even the crazy Raider fans, if it's one year where you just got to be horrible to get the first or second pick and just kind of get a you know a program or excuse me a franchise changer, but this is you know a much brighter future, I think they take that. You don't want to be average in any NBA or excuse me any pro sport. Average is bad because you're never picking high enough to really make a difference. And you're usually never getting to the playoffs or just barely getting in losing. And this seems like that kind of team again. And it seems like unless they change a lot of things defensively and, and this offensive line remake actually works out, like you said, they could be this for the foreseeable future. And it's just not good. Like eight or nine in the NFL year after year after year is never good, in my opinion, because you don't have a much of a chance to get better. And as you're being eight or nine, guys are just getting older. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, you're, you know, the, the clay, you know, the cliches, are you wasting all these guys years? The more you're eight and nine and Darren Waller and these guys keep getting older, the windows closed the NFL far more than other leagues. It's just not a good place to be in. And it's, it's two big reasons. Number one is the defense is so bad that the offense has to be really good for them to just really have good. a chance to get to seven or eight wins most seasons. And the defense is so bad and they haven't really overhauled the defense this offseason, right? They overhauled the defensive tackle spot and they brought in Yannick Ngakwe, but otherwise it's it's the same guys at linebacker and in the secondary, which they probably had the worst secondary in football last year. So the, the defense is so bad that that limits any ceiling they have, any chance the Raiders have at, oh, they ran off a 13-win season. It's pretty much gone because the defense has been so bad and there's no there's no real reason to expect them to be a good defense this season. But the other part of this, Derek Carr is a part of this too, because Derek Carr, while he's a good quarterback, he's still only roughly the what tenth, eleventh best quarterback in the NFL. Oof, and while while that's that's good, like you'd rather have the tenth best quarterback than the twentieth best quarterback. You're not doing much with the tenth best quarterback unless the defense and the rest of the team is very good, and we know the rest of the team is not very good so you have a you know an above average quarterback but a horrible defense you're not doing anything with that and it's it's because here here's what i here's what i think would be the smart thing for the raiders to do if they were going to win a super bowl they should rebuild again like they should absolutely blow it up and rebuild again but i don't know that john gruden is going to try to rebuild again because i, I think in their minds they simply want to make the playoffs. Even if they get in as a as a nine and eight team this next season, they want to simply make the playoffs so they have something tangible to point to other than, 
oh, look, we, we improved our win total every season. Like they want to have something tangible to point to as success. And so I think they're going to do everything they can simply to make the playoffs next year, even if that means they're never going to win a Super Bowl with their current roster set. Yeah. Well, a few things there you're right on, especially Gruden. Ten-year deal, hasn't made it yet. Uh, you know, and I think he's safe. I mean, I, I just think Mark Davis loves him. Uh, I talked to Mark Davis again last week. He couldn't praise him more. This is the guy. This is the guy that's going to lead us. Okay, that's fine. It's his team. He can do whatever he wants there. But so there's, in my mind, he's going into fourth year and with how much he wants to win. And, you know, they all have egos at the NFL level. I don't think he'd go for a rebuild. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, would he have gone for a rebuild last year if he knew he was getting Trevor Lawrence? Maybe. I don't know because he's so enamored with quarterbacks. But you're exactly right. I mean, they, they're not going to do that with Gruden in charge and go for the full rebuild. So I don't know. I think it puts them where we're saying it puts them. Um, defensively, you're right. Offensively, again, you know, who's the right tackle? Who's really going to be the center? There's a lot of questions on an offense where they were pretty good last year. And if they get that fixed, they could be pretty good this year. But it won't mean anything if you continue to give up uh, points. And, you know, with the defensive line and the tackles, yeah, there's a former first-round pick there, but I don't know if you agree. I mean, at this point, it's journeyman. So, you know, moving guys out and moving guys in in terms of those tackles, I don't know how much better they're going to be there. I think Ngakwe is obviously an upgrade. Um, I, th- that's really the only thing you point to right now who's an upgrade, and he's got to play well. So I'm with you on the no rebuild in Gruden's mind. I just can't. If it's one year one with Gruden or year two, and they're like, you know, whatever they are, and he's looking at the roster saying, boy, this is a disaster. I've got to come in and do everything, um, even though he did a lot of things, maybe, but not going into year four. I can't believe he's thinking that way, and I agree with him in the playoffs because here's the reason. I think they're tired of hearing one in 17 years, one in 18 years. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, that's what you say I write. I mean, that, you know, but that's the truth. That's the facts. Is we're not making anything up. You keep hearing that, no matter how good your fan base is, you're now in Allegiant Stadium, you're now in Vegas, you're supposed to be this new brand. You're right. They just want to make it. And then in their minds, if they just make it, then they're off and running. And I don't believe that, but I think that's the way they would think. Do you get the sense Raider fans have higher expectations for next season than eight or nine wins? Well, I mean, their expectations of the Super Bowl. Just win, baby. Yeah, but I like, mean, like, I mean do, you, I, like yeah. do you think there's there's a, a large portion of Raider fans that actually think, yeah, this could be the team that wins the Super Bowl? No, but I think their expectations are always the playoffs. And it's, again, we'll go back to one in 18 years. I don't think there's ever been... And you're talking majority Raider fans. I mean, you know, they're, you're always going to get more realistic people than not supposedly, you know, in terms of looking at things. But I think a lot of them always believe they're going to the playoffs. Um, let's be honest, the last two years, I think they, correct me if I'm wrong, both last two years they started six and four. So at that point you're thinking, okay, you can't lose five of the last six again. And yet they, <laughs> and then they ended up doing that. Um, so yeah, I think the hope and the, and the expectation is playoffs and Raider fans, they're great fans. They love their team. They are go to the wall with their team. But if they get in, you know, it takes over them and how far they could go. So I think the majority of Raider fans think they're going to go in the playoffs. Yeah, and I, I think if you're John Gruden and the Raiders, that's sort of what you're playing on. That your your fan base doesn't have legitimate Super Bowl expectations for you either. And to where so what that means is if the Raiders, like let's say they go nine and eight, but they make the playoffs this year. That that's success. Like John Gruden's going to be hailed as having a successful season, even if they lose the first playoff game by forty points. Like that's going to be viewed as success for the Raiders simply getting there. And I think that's why that's what they're striving for 
is because that's all that's all anybody cares about because they've done it once in 17 seasons because that's what the fan base expects and because that's what John Gruden and this roster are built to to do at a pretty much a maximum is get there. So I think that's a big reason why they're going for it is because that's simply the the ceiling of their expectations. Nobody actually expects them to win a Super Bowl, which should be the goal at some point in the future. Sure, at and some I, point. I, yeah, and I, I, so. I don't know that the Raiders are, are anywhere close to that until they have a significant change with the roster, which – they haven't. They have yet to do because the defense is still the same. Plus Yannick Ngakwe and the quarterback still there in Derek Carr. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I, I'm looking forward to watching them in the draft. I mean, you know, well, we always look forward to that because who knows what they might do. I mean, it's just you know, I mean, I, I've seen ten. I think I've seen ten mock drafts. I think everyone has a different player for them. Which again, you know, we said it yesterday. Cleve Furl at four. Damon Arnett in the first. I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, it's, that's what makes the Raiders, I guess, interesting on Thursday night if they stay at 17, what they might do. Um, but you're right. I mean, when you talk about defense, it's Yannick. When you, you talk about Carr, and what's Carr now? Going to his eighth year? I mean, I saw something yesterday, and I know it's kind of been the discussion about Carr, when and if to extend him. And I'm not saying Derek Carr hasn't been a really good quarterback. He has been. I mean, he's been one of the better, if not the best players on the team, him, Waller, and some others, if we're talking recent years. But I've got to be honest with you. I'm sorry, and I, I felt this way about Colton Miller in a much different way because Colton Miller was not done with his rookie contract. I can't believe you'd 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 extend Derek Carr and and not and made the playoffs one time and he got hurt, which was no fault of his. I, I just can't believe that. Like, I think you don't make that decision until you absolutely must. Um this is not a guy who's been to the playoffs three, four, five times. So I, right. I don't know where the extension was. I just don't get that. And, you know, a couple of people on, on Twitter yesterday is like, you know, just announce the extension. Just extend him. And it's just, again, it's not completely against Derek Carr. I think he's a really good quarterback. But in this league, the only thing that matters is the playoffs. I wrote that last week. I don't care about incremental improvement from four to seven to eight. Nobody cares about that. The only thing in that league that matters is making the playoffs. And that team has made it one time under him. Again, he got hurt. No fault of his own. But one time in seven or eight years, I, I can't, you know, I, I'm sorry. At the end of the day, the quarterback is the most important position on the field and they've got to get to the postseason. So when I saw that yesterday about extension, I'm like, why would you do that now? Like, I, I don't get that in any way. Because you got to match that Colton Miller extension. Derek yeah, Carr well. feels hurt. He's got to get that Colton <laughs> Miller deal. All right. Here we go. Here's a chance to win a free haircut from Floyd's 99 Cuts and Color. You'll get a haircut. Hot lather, neck shave, and shoulder massage, plus a free massage shampoo. It's a $29 value. Yours free if you call right now, 702-364-1100. We will take caller number three at 702-364-1100 if you want a free haircut from Floyd's 99 Cuts and Color. I can't guarantee that anybody in the world will be alive Sunday, so I can't guarantee who will be on our roster on Sunday. So that goes for all of us. We're back to the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Congratulations to Mark. He won a free haircut from Floyd's 99 Cuts and Color. He'll get a haircut, hot lather, neck shave, and shoulder massage, plus a free massage shampoo. A $29 value from Floyd's 99 Cuts and Color. Coming up later in the show, we have another Golden Knights jersey to give away, plus another copy of MLB The Show. But let's talk about Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. What a bowl of cherries that guy is. We might all be dead by Sunday. Jeez. 
I, what I what if you say I don't know who's going to be on the roster? Why do you throw in we all might be dead? I mean, but he's not wrong. <laughs> I, I can't guarantee anybody in the world will be alive uh, Sunday. Oh, that's a man. good line. We got to. I got to start using that more often. Just like, yeah. hey, is Jared going to be there? I can't guarantee Jared's going <laughs> to be alive. <laughs> which actually might be a little bit more valid than it is and, for Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, I was so, going to say also like too close to home, man. So. <laughs> We've had, we've had a lot with the 49ers in the last uh, 24, 48 hours because we've had reports that they are choosing between Mac Jones and Trey Lance, which would mean Justin Fields uh, is officially falling out of the top three. Uh, we've had the Kyle Shanahan quote when asked about Jimmy Garoppolo, saying you can't guarantee anybody in the world will be alive on Sunday. Uh, and Kyle Shanahan said yesterday, that there are five quarterbacks they like at pick number three, which presumably just means he's saying he likes all five of the projected first-round quarterbacks. So, Ed, what the hell do you think the 49ers are going to do with their number three overall pick? Well, I'll just say this. One, I think they already know, and they've known probably for a while. Um, It's draft week, so he's not going to give up anything. The weird line on Sunday, uh, notwithstanding. Um, I also... And look, I know it's everyone's job. I know this is what a lot of guys get paid for in terms of the mocks and everything. If you're asking me Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think Lawrence is probably, if they put people around him, you know, as safe a bet as any. That, that's not saying much because he's been a safe bet, supposedly, with these NFL people for three years. But I love, like, the you know, the hard line. Justin Fields is the best of all of them. We don't really know that. I mean, you can look at them in college and, you know, say, you know, who's better, who's not. You can look at systems. I don't I don't look, I don't even know if Zach Wilson should go two. I mean, he's obviously he's he's, you know, supplanted a two and he's gonna go two. But I love kind of this time of the year, kind of the, you know, you know, the declarations from everybody about who's better. I don't know what they're gonna do. I will just say I think they know. If they don't know Tuesday, the week of the draft, knowing the entire time they're taking a quarterback, knowing the entire time it's anyone but Lawrence, I have to believe that people like Lynch and Shanahan know exactly who they're going to pick. I, I, it would shock me if right now they're in the film room saying, what, you know, which of the three guys? We haven't looked at enough tape. I mean, come on. I mean, they've looked at probably every game these three dudes have played for their whole career by now. So, I, I mean, I'll guess and say Mac Jones, and I'm not knowing anything about it. I assume they knew when they made the trade to get the number three pick. Yes, yes. Right, I like because you you probably don't make that trade if you don't know which one no. of those guys you want. So I assume they knew which which of the quarterbacks they wanted when they made the trade to go up to number three. Now, here, okay, here's what's fascinating to me about Mac Jones and the fact that he is potentially the number three pick, and it, it's the conversation that a lot of people have had. He's simply not the athletic mobile quarterback that we see in the NFL as the best quarterbacks in the league. Like even like you go across the NFL and outside of like Tom Brady, the best quarterbacks in the NFL can move. Now, it doesn't mean they're scrambling for 100 yards in a game, but like Aaron Rodgers can make plays where he gets outside the pocket and all of a sudden they've got a 50 yard pass down the field to Devontae Adams. Like it's guys that can get out of the pocket, move their feet and make plays that way. And Mac Jones is supposedly the only one of the five going in the first round that can't do that. And so to draft, so Ted Wynn made this point on Twitter, to draft Mac Jones and expect him to be great, his path to success is what Tom Brady is. His path to success is what Peyton Manning is. 
two immobile quarterbacks who are so good at the position that they don't need to be mobile when everybody else is. And the problem with that is you're basically saying, hey, the only way for Mac Jones to be good is for him to be one of the five best quarterbacks of all time. Like his path to being successful is being Tom Brady, and that's not a good thing to bet on. You're better off betting on, hey, can this guy be Josh Allen? Can this guy be Lamar Jackson? Can this guy be a, you know, eighth best quarterback in football? And if he's got a great season, he's the third best quarterback. Like that's what you should be going for. And I don't know that Mac Jones can be that. Lamar Jackson won an MVP. That's a good point. And maybe that's, maybe like you said, it was always, I'll tell you one thing. If, if they go down the line of your thinking, I will say I think it's Justin Fields then because I think they would have done more homework on Trey Lance given the, you know, the level he's at. Not that, not that that school hasn't produced some really good quarterbacks. I get that. But if they made that trade at that point knowing and they go down the road you're thinking about in terms of the 2021 prototypical quarterback, then I would guess it's Justin Fields, right? I, you know, I, I think they would have done more homework on Trey Lance. As, as, you know, he had one game. He had a pro day. But you're still taking a guy from a smaller school. I think you need to do more researching him, even though now the books, Trey Lance, I don't keep track of it every day, but Trey Lance, I guess, in the odds is rising. And maybe bookmakers are thinking the exact same way you are, to where you know you have to get a guy, he's not Mahomes, but a guy who can move and a guy who can you know make plays with his feet. Uh, so if that's the case, I'd have to go Justin Fields um, at that point. And, and most, I will say this, I was talking about people you know who do mock drafts and have opinions. I've heard more than than not say they should take Justin Fields. I don't know. Like I said, I think they know who they're taking and they're going to make the pick. But most people you listen to who do these odds and who do these mock drafts think they should take Justin Fields. Yeah, and the, which is why I'm I'm fascinated if Mac Jones goes three. Does anybody like? Does anybody get really aggressive like Denver or something or New England and try oh, to trade up to four? Too. Yeah, try to trade up to four for with Atlanta to get Justin Fields or maybe even five because Atlanta might just stay and pick Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts. Which would be fun. Pitts yeah. But yeah. like, I, I'm curious how aggressive a team like Denver or like new England is picking 15 Denver's at nine. Like if you see Justin Fields doesn't go in the top three, how aggressive are you? Like do other teams view Justin Fields the same way the 49ers do where, Oh, he's not as good as Mac Jones or do other teams view Justin Fields as wow. He could probably, he's probably the second best quarterback in this draft behind Trevor Lawrence, and he's now fallen to four. We got to go get him. Like, that's what I'm fascinated to see is what, because you can do it like four, five, and honestly, six, too, with the Dolphins. You have the Falcons, Bengals, and Dolphins. Presumably, those three teams are not drafting a quarterback. So if Justin Fields is there at four, five, or six, I'm fascinated to see if somebody says, let's go get him and make a trade to move up in the draft. Well, I'll say this. I think I saw the latest uh, over-under at eight, maybe. I can't believe he slips past eight, which means, like you said, someone's probably going to come up and get him. And I would figure of 32 teams, I would guess more than not would like him more than Niners if the Niners went with Mac Jones. Like, I would be surprised, given what you've said about Mac Jones and his inability to move, that more teams further down the draft say, oh, that was, you know, that was a good pick, and and, and Justin, you know, Justin Fields, we're not going to come up and get him. So I think he goes before eight. That would surprise me if he didn't go before eight, which means someone's going to come up and get him and be fascinating to see what, you know, obviously they're going to have to give up their pick, what else they would have to get for Justin Fields. Uh, you know, a team like Atlanta, what's Matty Ice? He's low to mid 30s, right? I mean, I, they have to start thinking in those ways, and 
you know, is the best tight end in, you know, years and years or the best tight end prospect more enticing to them than getting Matt Ryan's replacement? I don't know. They, we'd have to know what they think of Justin Fields. I just don't think he gets past eight. I, I If these guys after Lawrence are that close, can we really believe one's going to go to nine? Right, exactly. I, that, just don't, that, agree. I don't agree with right. that. Right. I think that's sort of the best point is that everybody, even even people that don't really view Mac Jones very highly, there's not much, there's not many people that are sitting here saying, oh, Zach Wilson is so much better than Justin right. Fields right. or Trey Lance. Like it, it seems to be pretty close that you're, you're exactly right. Like how far would you actually let one of them fall if, if they're all in the same basically tier of quarterback play as a prospect? All right. Coming up next, uh, we are going to get uh, back into the Raiders and if they might trade away Carl Nassib just a year after signing him. But we have a contest over at LVSportsNetwork.com, right? You have a chance to win $1,000 in cash plus a $250 gift card to the Raider Image Store. You just need to try to predict the first 17 picks in the NFL draft. And again... Winner would win $1,000 in cash and $250 in gift card to the Raider Image Store, all courtesy of the of excuse me the, the Heart Team from Nova Home Loans. Just go to lvsportsnetwork.com and make your picks. You don't want the whole league knowing exactly what you're set on four days before the draft. And we also care about a lot of people that have been involved in this. I mean, we got to know a lot of people and stuff. And those are the type of questions like narrowing it down or who's been eliminated or things like that, that one... I don't know if I want the league to know. I don't think it necessarily helps. And that's why we really, no one's really going to know whether we know or not until we pick. And that's kind of what we're comfortable keeping it at. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. So last season, the Raiders signed Carl Nassib, uh, gave him a pretty big contract with a lot of guaranteed money on that contract 16.75 million in guaranteed money uh but that might only be a one season deal for the Raiders because Peter King wrote in his weekly column I won't be surprised if the Raiders move defensive end Carl Nassif there was no other he didn't uh, go further into that didn't explain why he thinks that or who they would trade him for or what they would trade him for uh but Carl Nassif it does make some sense because he has a $4.9 million cap hit this season. The Raiders sign Yannick Ngakwe. They have Max Crosby. They have Cleveland Furl. Like, is are there a lot of snaps for Carl Nassib? Obviously, if there's injuries, there would be. But outside of that, where does Carl Nassib get his snaps next season? Uh, so, trading away Carl Nassib to save some cap space. You think they would actually do that and sort of give up on a guy they signed just last offseason to a pretty big deal for or in terms of guaranteed money? Well, they haven't uh, shied away from giving up on guys they signed to big deals. Uh, let's go back two years and who they signed and all the guys who have left. So I guess it wouldn't shock me if they gave up on a guy they gave a lot of money to. Very pedestrian, two and a half sacks last year. He started 9 of 14, uh, 28 tackles. Uh, when you think of Ngakwe, they obviously like Cleve for old Crosby. Yeah, I'm not, you know, we don't know. That's the other thing. What will they do in the draft? Will they try to get a rush into the draft? We don't know what they're going to do there in terms of an edge guy. So if you're telling me after the draft, they look at their, or even during the draft, that they, they need to move him to get up there, get up or whatever, that won't shock me. I mean, I, I don't, he certainly didn't do what you what you wanted last year to the point of like, oh, we, we can't move him. Now, you know, I, what's, his, what's his guarantee for something? So, 
you know, someone would have to take that on. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe that would be, you know, the issue there. Does anyone, given what he did last year, want to take that cap hit? Um, but no, I'm, I mean, I think they love Ngakwe. I think they love Crosby. They love Furrow more than people on the outside love him. Um, so there's three guys. So no, I wouldn't be surprised if they moved him. I wouldn't be surprised what? if they kept him either after the draft and they don't take anybody. Well, so what's interesting is he's basically uncuttable because because they gave him so much guaranteed money, and I think yeah. he has I think he has void years on his deal too. But like his cap hit, for example, his cap hit this year it's only four point nine million dollars. Like it's not a big cap hit for this season, but because of the guaranteed money, if he's cut before June first, they would owe fifteen million dollars in dead money against the cap this year. If he's cut after June 1st, they'd owe $10 million against the cap this year in dead money. So cutting him would actually cost them either 10 or $5 million against the cap. So they absolutely can't cut him. But if they trade him, his dead cap hits only about a $1 million. So they would save nearly $4 million against the cap if they can trade Carl Nassib. But here's the problem. I don't know if you're able to trade Carl Nassib. Because, like, you might be able to get, what, like a sixth-round pick? You might be able to swap a sixth and a seventh-round pick or something like that. Because if you're another team, Carl Nassib is by no means, like, a difference maker. Like, you're not, like, desperate to trade for Carl Nassib. Even if you want him, you're not like, oh, he's the difference maker this team needs. But if you're you're trading for Carl Nassib, you're going to be fully aware that the Raiders are, A, trying to free up cap space, and, B, that they can't cut him. So the Raiders... The Raiders no wouldn't have, yeah, no leverage. The only way they'd have leverage is if multiple teams wanted Carl Nassib, which, I mean, I guess it's possible, but I doubt there are multiple teams that really want Carl Nassib. So I don't even know, I don't know that you can trade him. And if you do trade him, like you're 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 getting back a seventh, you're you're swapping, you're giving a seventh and getting back a sixth. Like you're not really getting much value if you put Carl Nassib in a trade. You're not getting much back, I should say. So I. I mean, it would be nice for the Raiders if they could free up about $4 million in cap space because Carl Nassib doesn't really have an easy path to playing time this year, and they should be fine without him. I just don't know that it makes sense for any other team to actually trade for him. No, and I think, again, now, like you said, you might have to make that decision on the third day of the draft because it'll be a late-round pick. Um, so I guess, you know, you look at your board, and if you like guys in that round at that position, it might be more of a kind of a... a notion to trade him but if at that point in the draft uh you haven't either you haven't uh drafted a russian you haven't drafted someone at that spot and like you said you can't do it before june 1st in terms of uh in terms of the money i think the odds are more not that king heard he might be involved in some stuff but that they keep him like i think obviously you have to say because of the money and the cap and everything you've mentioned that the odds are they're going to keep him again unless here we go Unless, you know, they surprise everyone in these first two rounds and they find a guy that they believe is the guy rushing. And then you get to the third day and like, well, we, you know, we've kind of filled that void. Now let's just move Carl and see if we can pick up a pick. Um, but I still think the odds are because there's absolutely no leverage on their part that they would hold on to him. I want to ask you about Carl Joseph, too. Um, Paul Gutierrez, who we're going to talk to uh, later in the show, 830. Um, he wrote a story about Carl Joseph and how John Gruden called or said that Carl Joseph brings playmaking to the Raiders. But what's more interesting is that when Mike Mayock talked to the media last week, was asked about, you know, right tackle and free safety when he mentioned Jared Jones-Smith as a potential starter at right tackle. He also mentioned Jeff Heath as a potential starter 
at free safety and not Carl Joseph. So did they sign Carl Joseph to be Jonathan Abrams' backup? I guess there's a better chance than not because, like you said, Mayock, the only guy he mentioned was Heath because the big question is what are you going to do at free safety? Who are you going to draft there? Um, Maybe. I mean, you know, Carl Joseph is back now. um, First round pick in 16. Uh, look, Gruden, you know, Gruden would say, you know, Jared Justice has a chance to be a good playmaker for us. So <laughs> I'm never really surprised that Aww, Gruden thinks everyone's playmakers, thanks. even though they've, they haven't had many playmakers on defense. Uh, Jonathan Abram has some issues, tackling, covering, taking bad angles. Can I think of anything else? So I would think that maybe Carl Joseph is definitely competing uh, in camp, maybe with Jonathan Abram. Maybe you're right. And if they pick a free safety first or second round, and Mike Mayock says Jeff Heath first, then that's kind of where you think Joseph's going. Because they're not going to pick a guy in the first or second round and not play him. That's not happening. So then you add Jeff Heath, and you're kind of, in your mind, set at that position. Now you got to find a you know a spot for Carl Joseph. That might be the spot he's talking about with you know the playmaking. I, I'm reading Paul's story. Leadership, versatility, professionalism. Boy, with all that, I don't know why you let him walk in. Hell, if he was that good, why did he play somewhere else? Um, you know, why, why was he with Cleveland Browns starting 8 of 14 and, you know, uh, career high two fumble recovery? So, I, I don't, look, defensively, I still think Gus Bradley's in the lab. Um, you know, he's seen Gruden St. Jonathan Abram. We played one game, uh, you know, one went down, so Carl Joseph had to step in. So, yeah, I think, look, I think everything's open, and you, when you're that bad defensively and you get to camp, everything's open. Now, again, you draft a rookie in the first two rounds of safety, he's playing. But everything else, I think, is open, and I think Carl Joseph will have as good a chance as any veteran when he comes in to get a look. I think, so, the best case scenario would have been to go out and sign somebody to replace Jonathan Abram in the starting lineup because Abram was so bad last year. But I actually, I actually kind of like the potential here if, let's just say, Carl Joseph is the backup to Jonathan Abram, and let's assume the Raiders do something smart and actually draft a free safety in the first two rounds and and project him to start. If you go into next season with, okay, a rookie free safety, and then Jeff Heath is sort of the backup slash insurance policy, and then Jonathan Abram is your starting strong safety, but Carl Joseph is there just in case you get three games in and Jonathan Abram is still as bad as he was last season, you can flip them and now Carl Joseph is starting and Jonathan Abram doesn't have to play as much. I think right. that might actually be a, a decent fix to the, the back end of this defense, where obviously signing a big-name, high-priced free agent would have been the best way to fix it. But if you're telling me, hey, maybe they pick a rookie at 17 that comes in and can start and be decent right away, plus eventually Carl Joseph, who was better than Jonathan Abram ever was last season, is now the starting strong safety again, that's probably a decent fix. I mean, you're not again, you're not looking at a good safety group. You're not looking at like a good secondary but that's probably a lot better than what they had last year, and they wouldn't have had to have spent a lot of money on it, just a first-round draft pick and the you know few million they gave Carl Joseph. Yeah, and you know as he said, he played in a similar defense in Cleveland. Uh, it won't be much change for him. He you know he played pretty well last year, given you know the numbers. Given after he left the Raiders, I, you know his numbers are pretty good for a playoff team. So I'm sure he's coming in thinking that he's going to play a ton. That's why they brought him back. I'm really interested, and this is the guy I know people have not talked about a lot in the recent weeks because they've been goes, going mostly for um, for offensive line, and now you're seeing some linebackers in there, the kid from Notre Dame. I'm just talking about all the kids. I, I, Adam Hill made a great point in the show yesterday. I thought this was hilarious. One of the books around town, I'm not sure which one. It might have been Circa. 
put up odds as to who the Raiders might pick. And the guy listed like eight names. And it's like, you know, and they were laughing about it. It's like, you know, and it was every position. It was all over the map. But that's the Raiders. It's like, and I guess the book guy told that. He goes, who the hell knows who these guys are going to pick? They pick, they pick Clee Furl at four. So wait, wait, wait. I, there's I have one- a question. Was there a was there a field option? Was it like these eight players no, over the no. field? Oh well, man! He didn't it's... say there was. He did say there was. He did name off the eight names, and you know Trevor Lawrence might have been in there. I don't know who was in there, but there were like eight names in there that it was all over. And one of them, I don't know if this is one of the guys, and we don't hear a lot about him uh, recently. But the TCU safety Trayvon Moore, that is uh, you, early on. You heard about that guy a lot at seventeen for the Raiders because he's the best safety in the draft. So maybe let's just say that's him. Let's say him at 17. Well, obviously he's going to play. And I, you know, poor Jeff Heath. See, you know, you're not going to play. But if that happens, you know, Carl Joseph is, like you said, is, you know, many problems as Jonathan Abram had last year. You know, I could see Morgan, you know, Carl Joseph being the opening day starters. Like that wouldn't be a complete shock, especially if they're going to have preseason games this year. I assume they are. Um, there's more of a look there. Whereas last year, you kind of pretty much had to go with feel and practice because of all of COVID. I just, I just have to say, if there's a bet on who will be the Raiders' first round oh. pick, and there's eight names, and then at the yeah. bottom of that it says the field, you should take yeah. the field every yes. single time. Yes, yes. because twelve be names and say I will take the field because they will pick from the field. It will, it might not, yes. it will not be one of them. They could name probably all thirty-two potential first-round picks, and it'll be yeah, they, but they might take this guy from the third round <laughs> mock draft. Take him instead. That seems like a better option. There. Jimmy, so. it's John Gruden. We're about to make you a Raider. Really, Coach? I thought I was going tomorrow. No, you're going now. <laughs> Just lets it go to voicemail. <laughs> yeah, the, the kids like a, the kids out like for a jog, thinking, "Well, I'm getting picked in the NFL tomorrow." <laughs> no, it's it's oh, it's even better. It's the oh, we're gonna take you. Oh, you're gonna sign me as an undrafted free agent? No, no, <laughs> no. First no. round pick. First Seventeen round overall. Pick. Good, no, yeah, he good. starts trying to talk him out of it. <laughs> like, look, no, no, coach, John. it was. A, this is a bad idea. Yeah, I've seen what people say about Cleveland Furl. I don't want that either. Just exactly. take me in like take me in like round five, and everything will be fine then. Because if I'm available now, I'll be available tomorrow. Because no one else would pick me. All right, coming up next, the best player in baseball is back. And that's a liner to left field. That's going to get down. That's a base hit. Correa will score. Straw racing around third. He'll score. A two-run single for Altuve. And the Astros lead 4-1. to one. All their RBIs have come with two outs. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. Well, the best player in baseball came back. Jose Altuve's first game back after testing positive for COVID. He had three hits. Uh, but here's here's my question about this. And this is not baseball. This is We've seen it really across all sports. But the Houston Astros situation, they had to put five guys on the COVID list. And the Astros in Major League Baseball basically said nothing. They just said they're on the health and safety's protocol list. And then four of those guys came back after about five or six days. Jose Altuve ended up being out uh, 10 or 11 days. And once Jose Altuve came back, he talked to the media and he told the media, yeah, I tested positive for COVID. So here's my question. If you have a player that's willing to tell the media and willing to tell everybody, yeah, I, I tested positive for COVID. Why can't the teams tell the media and make that like a public statement when the players are first taken out? Like, why are we left here with, okay, 
this team has five players out and we don't know anything. We don't know if one guy or five guys tested positive. Like I understand if the player wants to be private about it, but so many times a player comes back and he's like, yeah, I tested positive. If the player's okay with it, why can't they just get out in front and say, yeah, he tested positive and we're going to have to wait until he tests negative so many times before he can come back. Yeah. I, you're right. If the player, if you ask the player, how are you with this? And he says, yeah, go ahead and say it. I mean, I think you have to ask him the whole privacy. Right. Lot. Sure. I, I agree yeah. with that. I mean, if he doesn't want it out there, no one should be able to know. But if you're the PR people or whatever and say, uh, do you want it out there? And he says, yes. I don't know why you wouldn't do that. Um, they're so paranoid and they're so safe in, in terms of giving out any information. I just think it goes to the whole sports paranoia of teams and what information the public gets. Uh, we see it constantly with the Golden Knights, not just them, but all of hockey, where they are just, you know, you can't say anything about any injuries. And usually, let's take Robin Leonard, for example. You know, his shoulder, his shoulder, his shoulder, Robin Leonard comes back. I had a concussion. It's like, okay. Obviously, you know, we, we were kind of led to believe it was a shoulder injury, but I had a concussion. Um, I just think it's the paranoia of teams. I, I think, you know, and look, Altuve come back. If he was going to say it all the whole time, then he said it, and now we know. But I, I'm like, I'm with you on that. You ask the player, what do you think? If the player says, go ahead and say it, I don't really care, then okay. Um, but the league, these teams, not as much as anyway, other sports are different. Like the NFL, they at least put out an injury list. Now, sometimes, you know, everyone's probable or questionable, and you don't really know what that means, but they are made to put something out. You have to have something out who practiced who didn't what they have other than that i think it's paranoia i think they don't want the public the media anyone to know anything because they think it's a competitive disadvantage i don't know why in this sense would if he comes back obviously he's through the the protocol for covid but i just think it comes down to that that they don't want anyone knowing anything and when it comes to this if the player is going to say something you can't control the player if he's going to say he got it he got it but they're not going to be the ones to put the information out. Was it Tom? It's, oh, sorry, Tyler. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jared. No, oh, no, no go I, ahead. I was just going to ask, was it Tom Brady that for a decade was probable each week with a shoulder? <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. just went, huh, that shoulder I mean, doesn't Tom seem to Brady, be bothering him. Yeah, well, yeah, Tom Brady, who, you know, after three or four or five years in Super Bowls, I don't know why he ever practiced. So here's a guy who didn't practice all week because he didn't need to. Well, he's, you know, he's probable. It's like, okay, he's playing because he never practices anyway, so who cares? I mean, he's going to play. Um, yeah, he was the one. He was always probable. There's guys like that every week, like, yeah, that guy's playing, uh, but he's been probable since, like, 2002. I just I, – I think it's in the best interest of the, the league, Major League Baseball or any of our sports leagues, to say if the player's willing to say who tests positive. Because what, what we had this year, when the Astros had five guys go on the COVID list, they kept playing. And people with the Astros, like some of the players, were saying, we don't know why we're playing because at the same exact time – the Minnesota Twins stopped playing because they yeah. had multiple players test positive and the Twins stopped. And, and we saw at the, basically around the same 10-day time span, the Phillies had to put like uh, three players and two coaches on the COVID list. Uh, we saw the Nationals start the year with uh, missing games because of guys on the COVID list. And the Cubs had to put three guys. Like all of that happened within the first like two weeks of the season. And there's there's no real explanation as to why some teams play and some teams don't. And I think it'd be in their best interest to say, okay, the reason the Astros are playing is because Altuve tested positive. Nobody else did, but they were close contact and were being safe. But because they only have one positive and not an outbreak, they're playing. Whereas the reason the Twins are stopped is because they had one guy and then a second and a third or whatever it was, and there might be an outbreak there. I just, 
I feel like it'd be in their best interest to, okay, why is everybody confused? Oh, well, here's exactly what happened. They're just afraid to say, here's exactly what happened. Yeah, they're afraid of anything that gets out news-wise. And again, I don't see where saying Altuve had it or not is a competitive disadvantage. When he comes back, he comes back. I mean, he's got to pass protocol, especially if he tested positive. So you know if he's back, he's fine. They're not letting the guy back unless he you know, tests negative for however many times now the protocols are in baseball. So, I, again, it's a simple answer, but I just think this is how they are programmed in professional sports to not let information out, to not tell us anything, because in their weird minds, it's, you know, a disadvantage for them. It's silly. Now, again, if a guy has a bad knee, this is why hockey says they do it. Well, if he has a bad knee, people will make runs at him. We don't need them to know what it is. I can sort of see that. I get that. But this, with COVID... I don't know what the problem is saying who has it because, like I said, they can't return until they pass everything anyway. What's the point? Yeah. Why, why, yeah. why keep that secret? That that yeah. to me makes no sense. But I completely get it because they're all out of their minds in pro sports and they take it to levels now with the disinformation that is laughable at times. Jared, did you pick up Kyle Tucker in fantasy baseball yet? Ten seconds. No. <laughs> why not? Why did you He's not great. take my advice Look and pick him up? Five seconds. He was on Jared, waivers. Look at the numbers of this guy. He's only hitting 176, but he's 